and welcome to Space Chats. I'm Adam Hemming, the director of the Space Theatre, and I'm here on Zoom with Not The Way Forward Productions, who will be performing Casterbridge at the Space. So welcoming to the podcast, director and writer Dorothy McDowell. Hello. Producer Anna Pagu. Hi, Adam. And actor Leah O'Grady. Hi. Lovely to have all of you on. I think this is the first one I've done with three guests at once. So very excited. Before we start talking about Casterbridge, which is coming to the space in a couple of weeks, uh, let's find out a bit more about you. So first off, I, I kind of want to know a bit more about your background, where you grew up, how you got to where you are now, maybe what your first theatrical experience was. Um, who would like to go first? I'll, I'll go first so I can get the slightly pretentious thing out of the way that we, we, all, we all met while we were studying at Oxford. So we are those pricks is the first thing to say. But I'm from a little village called Five Mile Town in County Fermanagh in Northern Ireland. And both my parents are very cultured, although they don't work in the arts anymore, although they did when they were younger. And yeah, it just I'd always... I've always really loved stories, whether that's books or film or theatre or whatever. And then whenever I was, so my last year at school, I somehow fluked my way into a job working in the education department of the Globe in London, not having seen that much theatre before. And then I ended up there and got to see all their shows for free because I worked there and I really, really loved it and spent a year going around looking loads of theatres in London on my gap year. And then went to Oxford and it's got a really good student drama scene and tried acting, realised quite quickly that I potentially wasn't very good at it and that I might be kind of better off directing my energies elsewhere. And then <laughs> tried directing, really liked it, tried writing, really liked that, started not the way forward. And uh, yeah, just graduated last year and I'm now seeing if I can make a go of it professionally. How about you, Anna? Yeah, so I grew up in Romania, actually, in Bucharest. I went to high school there, but had absolutely nothing to do with drama, like sort of formally. My very, very first theatrical experience was actually a really terrible audition in my year nine. Like the worst audition you could possibly imagine. I just froze and said no words. So that was the end of that, funnily enough. So then I kind of I was like, you know what, I, I, will, I will be a scientist. This is OK. This is fine. I will just just do academia. This is, this is OK. So then I came to Oxford um, and I started acting in this society that is sort of really really amateur sort of lots of panto style shows they literally give everyone a part it's called the um, oxford university light entertainment society and it's very wholesome and they gave me a part which was great because i couldn't act uh, but it was it was fantastic it was great fun and i very slowly got roped into various backstage positions i you know how you do a little bit of everything you do a bit of props a bit of set a bit of costume you then do some marketing and then you realize oh I actually really like spreadsheets and I'm really organized perhaps I should try producing and then I got involved more in the sort of the more formal drama scene in Oxford and I've been producing a lot of shows since then and doing a lot of marketing and now I'm like yeah now I'm enjoying it more than my PhD which is in meteorite science so I thought might try to make something out of that yeah, and London has a terrifying theatre scene, but I am learning it and it's very exciting. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's great that you're doing a PhD. I think that's exciting. Leah, give us a bit of your background. I'm from London. My first theatrical experience was playing a sort of horrible monster in a weird story that we did when I was about five. The monster turned people to stone 
that's an important thing to know. Um, and this is a company <laughs> that um, called Monster Cat Theatre, who I have now been with for 15 years and I now go back as a volunteer and kind of you know look after the the five-year-olds who are starting out on their theatrical journey <laughs> so that's great fun that's kind of how I started and then I sort of gave up at 11 when I was in Beauty and the Beast and I was cast as a napkin and I was really really terrible I was a really really terrible napkin and then I went away and then came back and sort of rediscovered Shakespeare and um, ended up in the final year of school directing Taming of the Shrew, which was fun, and I did it with like a cast of like fourteen year olds who were neurotypical, and then a cast of kids who were about eleven to sixteen who had global learning difficulties. So that was amazing to kind of work with those two, and that's when I really got into like directing and writing. So I'm a bit more doing a bit more of that. Like Dorothy, I sort of got to to Oxford and realised that actually. Um, <laughs> this is a great advert for the show. I'm not as good an actor as some of the amazing people at Oxford, so I'm kind of, you know, dabbling in a, a lot of stuff at the moment and carrying on with whoever will, will have me when it comes to acting as well, which is always like Dorothy. Dorothy gave me my first part in Oxford. Yeah, and, and Anna, actually, I'm doing another show that Anna is producing as well. So, yeah, really kind of lucky to be able to do a lot of gay and feminist classics at the moment which is always fun. Yeah, so doing a bit of everything, really. I'm putting my hand up to interrupt her. One, to contradict Leah and say she's a very good actor, and two, to evidence this with my favourite fact about Leah, which is that she is a children's party princess, which is incredible, and I would like you to elaborate on, please. Oh, yeah. I was part of, you know, lots of those online agencies where they advertise for acting jobs and jobs that actors would be good at but aren't actually acting jobs which included being a children's party princess and I was initially really dreadful at it because my head was too big for the wigs and my my voice was too low for the songs and I was just bad I was terrible at it and then I finally found a sort of members club where I could kind of dress up in a pretty dress but not be Princess Belle and instead be Princess Leah and so I don't have to sing and I don't have to wear a wig and I don't have to put on an American accent um, so that's always really fun and that's that's a bit of acting as well I suppose but it's it's mainly working with very small children which is quite different to what we're doing at the moment <laughs> yeah I think I in, we had the read through for my other show a few days ago and Leah then realised there is in fact a final song where everyone is encouraged to contribute and she, she looked terrified and now I understand why. There's, there's history here. Yeah, yeah, there is history there. So tell me a bit more about Oxford, what it was like at Oxford for you all then. How, what, what did you all get out of that experience and, and joining the drama societies there? You get you can get a very different answer to that question depending on who you ask in the schema of people who go to Oxford. I I absolutely loved it, which is not... Some people go and for a variety of very valid reasons have a horrible, horrible time. For some reason, I just had a great time and I loved the work and I loved the pressure and I loved the drama scene. Uh, one of the things that is why Oxford tends to produce quite a lot of thespy people and why it's considered a really good place for extracurricular drama is that the dramatic society is structured in a different way to most unis. So most unis at the Central Dramatic Society, it produces all of the shows and it puts on like five a year and loads of students bid and like the top five get it and there's a limited number of parts. Oxford University Dramatic Society, the way it works is it's like an umbrella body uh, and all it does is fund people. So anyone in the uni can go, I'd like to put on a show. Can I have some money? And they'll probably go, yeah, all right, if you want to. And there are like 
six or seven student performance spaces you can use. I don't know if it's quite true, but people say you could go and see a different student show every night of the week in Oxford and still not have seen all the student shows that year. So it's really, yeah, it's a place that really encourages you to form production companies and make your own work and put stuff on. It's so much fun. You can try everything and you can be as terrible or as good as you like. And there's so much other stuff that people forget about it immediately. So it doesn't matter. I don't know if the other two have different thoughts, but I, I'm a big and I work for the university now. I, actually, that's how much of a big fan I was of the drama scene. And I do it as my job. Yeah. I very much agree. It's a sort of ecosystem of lots of production companies, lots of venues, lots of societies working together. And I actually enjoy that a lot as marketing manager and then as a producer. And actually, like, I, at the moment, I'm trying to get more involved in tech and design. I just sort of realized this is a gap in my skill set. And I just, I just want to give it a go. And yeah, I'm doing it. It's not it's not very hard to just message the producer and be like, hey, can I be your lighting technician? I've not really done it before, but I can plug lights in. It'll be fine, right? And they go, yeah, and that'd be fantastic. And, you know, you're probably going to annoy that venue technician a little bit because you will not know how to plug lights in, but you'll learn. And yeah, it's, it's really great. There is a little bit too much drama offstage, but when there's drama on stage, there's always drama offstage. So I refute the drama. Everyone's everyone's lovely. There doesn't have to be drama off stage. <laughs> um, it happens. And Leah, all of our cast are Oxford graduates, apart from Leah, who's still there. So you're like eyes on the ground. I I haven't survived yet. Haven't got out yet. Um, I am halfway through my degree now, or just over halfway. So obviously, first year was all COVID, so I didn't really do much. But I'm currently doing five shows, which is really stupid. But <laughs> it gives you a sense of the scale of Oxford drama is that like one individual can do five five shows. And it's not like I've gotten into everything I've auditioned for at all. It certainly has its problems, Oxford drama in particular. But yeah, I'm really kind of grateful to for the opportunity to kind of do your own stuff. Like I'm doing, I'm directing a show at the moment which is much like this, actually. It's an adaptation of a classic Victorian novel. And it's just, yeah, it's just mad. And, you, you know, you get to see other people do do your writing, which is really fun. And I bet it's quite, you know, I bet for Dorothy as well, it's quite a surreal experience. So rather than just everyone doing Witness for the Prosecution every year or Romeo and Juliet or whatever it is that the drama society as a whole have decided that they're going to do. So, yeah, it's a learning curve, I think. Is, the, is is how you could describe Oxford drama in two words. It's a learning curve. Well, I'd love to hear more about Anna's offstage drama, but let's talk about Not The Way Forward Productions. How did the name come about, first of all? Do you want the real answer or the answer we've back-engineered to make it sound like deep and meaningful? Let's start with the back-engineered answer and then get the real answer. <laughs> so the back-engineered answer is that because we do, we reinvent things, so we're looking at the way theatre is traditionally done and the people who traditionally get parts and say, we think this is not the way forward. We're going to do something exciting. What actually happened was uh, there was a midnight deadline to get a name for the bank account. And me and my first producer were sat on the floor of her university room desperately trying to think of something. And we'd had so many bad ideas. And for every single one, I said, yeah, no, I think that's possibly not the way forward. But I'd said it so much in the conversation. She was like, we're calling it that. <laughs> you have no further say. So, yeah. And then we tried to make it poetic afterwards. 
Oh, I think you did a great job at, at, at back engineering that. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a great name for a company, I think. So yeah, how did it all come to be? How did it all come about? I'm gonna I'm gonna keep talking about this because it's very much it's it's very much my company. I sometimes feel quite bad making it sound like it's a it's a it's a collective because what it is is I find people who I think are good at whatever they do and I sort of bully them into doing shows for me. In, in a nice way, in a wholesome way. So me and a very good friend of mine set it up when we were in our second year at uni in order to do shows that have parts for women in them because uh, one of the problems with the drama scene at Oxford is it, it's very, very male-dominated and very kind of private school-dominated. So we wanted to do something a bit different. And when we were at uni, the way people got involved in it was just people, anyone could audition and we cast people. Now that I've left uni, we have a... <laughs> a little Facebook group chat of it's like 15 or 16 actors who were involved in it when I was at uni and enjoyed it enough to consent to keep in touch with me after I graduated. And every time I'm looking for actors, I kind of go, anybody want to come do this thing? I think it's maybe going to be really fun. And then like three people go, yeah, all right. If you're really stuck, I might as well. Yeah. So we're a bit of a looser collective than something that's like four people that do all the shows. Everyone's done more than one but no one's done all of them except me yeah and same with the crew i just have like i'm sure anna can attest because anna has her own production company it's just people who you get on quite well with who will help you out whenever you're stuck and you end up working with them quite a bit great and how did uh, anna or leah how did you get involved with uh, not the way forward is this your first production with not the way forward or have you done previous shows with dorothy this is my first show as a producer for Not The Way Forward, although I have done marketing on their virtual production of Richard II at the, during the first lockdown, that was a good one. So I, I did the, uh, I acted in the research and development version of Casterbridge as a different character, which is fun. It's fun to kind of like uh, explore. Well, my original character was just playing one and now I'm playing three. So it's fun to like, I don't know, just, have fun with the characters and see what worked with the last people because obviously I've seen it performed like twice before by different people and then taking what works and hopefully and uh, making it better but also you know trying to take inspiration from them I guess but yeah I just answered I remember I answered a casting call and the audition was the day after my final exam of first year and I very almost did not turn up to the audition because I was extremely tired and extremely hungover. And luckily I did because, yeah, it's been an adventure. and It's my first part in Oxford drama. So, yeah, pretty pleased. Were you hungover in that audition? Just a tiny bit. <laughs> okay, it didn't, sometimes people at, at uni, it's a very classic student uni thing, someone comes in hungover, occasionally still drunk for <laughs> auditions. And you can usually tell. I couldn't tell with you. Oh, that's, that's good. good. That's good. Yeah, so let's talk a bit about Casterbridge then. This is the show you're bringing to the space in a couple of weeks' time. Can you tell us a bit about the show and it, why you chose to adapt this novel particularly? show is an adaptation of Thomas Hardy's The Mayor of Casterbridge. And it's basically, there are so, so many plots, but the, the one that's most famous is about a woman selling, well, no, the one that's most famous in the original is about a man selling his wife. But that's not appropriate for a modern audience. So <laughs> we've got a woman selling her husband, which is way better. And um, so I play the husband and, yeah, it's basically about said woman and her sort of 
her rise and her fall and it's set between 1982 and 2000 dot 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 technically present day but the time gets a bit woolly after about 2012 yeah (laughs) (laughs) there's no pandemic you'll be pleased to hear so and there's no brexit either it's basically her story and her fall one of the other main plots is her fall at the hands of Deborah Farfrae who is her sort of prodigy slash I think homoerotic lover slash <laughs> friend slash enemy that's not in the script <laughs> it's just Leah's fan theory <laughs> so why I wanted to adapt it is I have really really loved the book for a really long time a very good friend of mine who's a very good picker of books bought it for me as like a 14th birthday present and I remember sitting reading it very kind of self-consciously like aren't I really grown up I'm reading this really grown up book and then suddenly going I think I might be I think I might actually be enjoying this I think I might not just be doing it to show off anymore isn't that weird and since then I've just really liked it and by coincidence it was one of my A-level set texts and I remember when I was meant to be you know whatever you do to revise for A-level English rote learning quote about it I was sitting there going if this were a movie I think this is what this would look like and I think this is what the characters would look like and, da, 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 da. and that's obviously been percolating in my brain so whenever it came to me being about to graduate from uni and thinking what, how do I want to take this directing and the writing forward and how do I want to take the company forward I think I need a show I need like a calling card something I've written and directed that I could be like this is the style of theatre I'm interested in this is what I want to do what story should I pick? I just kind of came back to the Mayor of Casterbridge as something I'd always really, really loved and something I thought was doable with a small cast on a small budget in a relatively small space because it's it's sort of really about two people. It's got a big host of characters in the novel, but it's really about Henshard and Farfrae and their rivalry and what that does to them both. And whenever you have a core kind of core set of two people, it gets much, much easier to skim down the rest of the plot and skim down who you need and who you don't and work out how you can combine them together so you focus on these two individuals in the centre. Amazing. And where are you now in the process? Kind of what's your stage, what stage are you at? And kind of have you learned anything new or surprising along the way so far? Where are we? Leah, Anna, where are we in the process? (laughs) We've got Stagger through tomorrow. We're supposed to be off book by tomorrow. Yeah, I, I can't even, I've, it's always quite difficult to articulate where we are in rehearsals because we are on target. We are where we are meant to be. If I were to give you a, if I'm ever in a position to go, where are we at rehearsals? It usually means we've done something wrong, but we haven't. We've done it right this time. It's all good. And what have we learned? Well, as Leah mentioned, this is kind of the third time that we've done this with actors. So we had a work in progress performance in August and then a week of like workshopping R&D without your performance in December. In hindsight, that's something I've learned. You should do those two things the other way around. You don't do a work in progress performance and then do a workshop. I don't know what was going on in my mind whenever I arranged to do that. I think, I mean, I've learned a lot about writing. Leah can attest that the original original script was like a third longer and had did it have other characters and had so much narration and just so much has changed. And I think I've learned a lot about how to make something streamlined and pithy. And also big shout out to the Spaces dramaturg, Mike, who's been incredibly helpful with kind of reading drafts and telling me whatever I'm being unnecessarily Byzantine. I don't know, anybody else learned anything? I've learned that marketing London shows really hard. <laughs> 
There's a lot of theater and I don't know how to reach the audience that I need to reach, but I'm getting there. It's all fine. Like it's happening. It's just all started later than I thought it should have done. Every single phone call we have that includes Adam I feel like I need to guys can we can we pull back on the self-deprecation we are on it we know what we're doing the charming the charming too much honesty oh this is I still can't recover from when uh, our our trailer for people who've seen it included an interview with Leah and another actor Lorelai in which basically I left them alone for like 10 minutes and came back and had no idea what they'd said and they'd just gone a bit mad and Adam after watching it said it I, I can't remember how you put it out and that it really kind of summed up the the humor of the company and I was like we're all just we're all just cracking up a bit I think is what it is we're being too honest again the marketing is going great and I think the main thing is that you're you're having fun with it all that's that's kind of clearly coming across in in whenever I speak to you which is great let's talk about how adapting stuff again i've got two questions so is there another piece of literature that you would really love to adapt for the stage or what new play or film or tv show would have made a great classic novel i do a podcast another podcast called tv dna where we discuss tv shows and the wire is often described as a novel of a tv show so yeah, just any any films or TV shows or new plays that you think would have made a great novel. That's so. This is such a pretentious English literature student thing to say, but that's reminded me of. I think I read an academic once saying, if Shakespeare had been alive when the novel existed, he would have been writing novels instead of plays because the stuff like King Lear is virtually unstageable because there's so much of it because it's more like a novel than a stage show. I do have, a, I, I, I like, you say, are there any other novels I'd like to adapt? I, I have a list and I will be doing all of them over the course of what I hope is a long and eventful career. But I don't know if anyone has thoughts on. Um, I think Gilmore Girls very much reads like a courtship, like Emma or something. I feel like it's too long to be a novel, but it's a very similar thing. Like they basically, the two main characters sit there and passively get waited on by any attractive man that walks into town. And that's that's it, that's Emma. Or, you know, anything by Jane Austen. I think Gilmore Girls would make a good classic novel. I would absolutely love to read a novel based on The Good Place. I think it would be fantastic. I would I would read all of that and I, then I would write fanfic about it. I th- the only thing I can think of is, whenever we did the work in progress of this show, everyone I described it to said, that sounds a bit like the Lehman trilogy. And for some reason, now in this version everyone I describe it to goes that sounds a bit like Succession and I'd never seen Succession so I watched the first series of it and it is it is kind of I see what people mean it is quite connivy if they were a bit less sweary and did slightly fewer slightly less cocaine and a bit more opium it could be a bit of could be a bit of Dickens it could be certainly some of the characters could live well in a Victorian novel I think yeah, Succession is quite often described as, as Shakespearean in, in the way that it's created. We did a series on the most recent season of Succession. And I think it's a, it's a brilliant show. But yeah, great answers, I thought. I, yeah, really, really good answers. So thank you for that. What's next for Not The Way Forward then after Casterbridge? Have you got plans in motion for your next show or is it too early to even consider thinking about that? 
I do have plans. Nobody else knows about them yet. So the next show that I'd... Uh, well, in the back of my mind, the thing I'd like to do after Castor Bridge is to go back to... Because I love adapting, but I also... I started directing when I was at uni doing early modern plays, doing Shakespeare and contemporaries, and I really, really love them because I am a massive nerd who had no friends at school. And... I have wanted for a really long time to direct a play called The Great Duke of Florence, which is by a guy called Philip Massinger, and you will not have seen it because it was performed in 1636 and then never again. It got a rehearsed reading at the Globe like five years ago, and that's how I know it. It's never had a full professional production, and it's so much fun. And I really, really want to do, yeah, I want to do something weird to The Great Duke of Florence and see if I can give it a proper ending and make it, you know, the hottest play of 1636, see if we can bring it back, see if it stands up to a modern audience. Yeah, I think it's great. There, there, there must be a whole host of lost plays and plays that have, you know, the joy in, of, of discovering those and finding those and, and seeing what might what might work in the future with them, I think is is incredible. Yeah, well, particularly, this is me being an early modern nerd, Massinger, Philip Massinger, who wrote Gritchick Florence, and who... You, if you're into any kind of Renaissance theatre, you will have seen stuff he collaborated on. He wrote stuff with kind of Fletcher and people like that. But he often, when plays are forgotten, you watch them and you go, oh, yeah, it's quite a good reason that we forgot that. That was a bit rubbish, wasn't it? Well, maybe we should put that away again. But Massinger was effectively censored out of existence by King Charles because he was very, very political and said some quite rude things about the king in some of his writings. So a lot of it is really, really good. And I think if he hadn't been sort of cut off in his lifetime I think he died quite young as well would still be kind of in the outer reaches of the canon so yeah I think he's a particularly fun one to look at awesome so let's have then from each of you one reason why people should come and see Casterbridge at the space in a couple of weeks time Anna is looking incredibly stressed at this question my favorite thing about this this version of the production as opposed to last version of the production is playing Luke and I think he's the reason that everyone should come and see it. He is he is the man that was described as Lorelai's least favourite character in the trailer, if anyone's seen that. And he's basically just a Victorian dandy, but like transported to 2003. So yeah, he's basically, I think he's fantastic. And I think he, him alone is worth the entry price, if I do say so myself. I'm going to follow up on the Luke comment just to say that we spent a really, really long costume session the other day sitting and looking, how do we make Leah look like a sexy man? What do, we, what do we need to do to her to make that happen? And this is the energy Luke brings to everything. I think we've nearly cracked it. I enjoyed it. it. We had a, a costume fitting yesterday and yeah, I think we finally got the balance between sexy and androgynous. And then why I think people should come and see the show is, well, so the two things I always say about, because every all the shows I do are either things like early modern or Victorian theatre, they're classic plays or they're classic novels. So one reason to come and see something is even if you hate it and think I never want to see anything like that ever again, all you need to do is come and sit still in a room for an hour and you will go away knowing the plot of like a big witty cultural thing that will make you sound clever at dinner parties. And another reason is because, well, I, one of the things I really like about what's ended up happening with this adaptation, and it's partly because of kind of the nature of the actors and how fun and lively they all are, is that it is really funny in parts. And I didn't even, when I set out to write it, I wouldn't have been like, I want to make bits of the Mayor of Casterbridge a comedy. I wouldn't have said that, but it's what's happened and I absolutely back it. 
it's really fun. So it's the ending of the play is a bit miserable, but there's lots of laughs along the way. And I don't think you get that that often. So yeah, fun and you'll learn something. I really enjoy how the different themes and sorts of angles in Casabush kind of come together and for some reason make sense. Like if I told you what the show was about, what the different sort of themes we're tackling are. So we're we're looking at a at a classic novel with a feminist angle with Northeast pop heads set in the financial district, and you go, what on earth are you on about? It's just like all of these like eclectic combinations things just kind of makes sense and looks great and sounds incredible, and the actors are good, and yeah, I'm I'm really excited. It's it's random, but it works. Excellent. I am I'm very excited about seeing the show as well, and looking forward to having you all in the space in a few weeks' time. And um, so the show performs from the fifth to the 9th of April. And you can see the, this, this much-talked-about trailer on, on our website. It's www.space.org.uk, uh, where you can also you can find our, our social media links and all the other information that you need to know about the space. Where can people find you on social media? They can find us at Not The Way Forward, but with only... There's only a T at the end of not, not at the start of the. They share the one T in the handle. And it would say it's the same for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And yes, we've Anna's been messaging me constantly, being like, you need to send me more nonsense for the Instagram stories. So follow for some top quality Victorian nonsense. We have real, like serious content, but it's not very often. Great. Well, thank you all so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. And yeah, we're looking forward to having you at the space in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Thank you.